Sports is the number one best-selling book in all of history. No, yeah, I thought I heard somebody say Harry Potter. It's not Harry Potter. It's not Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's not The Hungry Hungry Caterpillar. It's not any of those. The number one best-selling book of all time is the Holy Bible. Um, it is the best-selling. It has been the most widely spread. It has been the most mass-produced. It has been the most heavily translated piece of literature that mankind has ever known. The word Bible simply means the book. It means the book of books. It's not just one book. It is a book that is a master of 66 books. But it's also the book of books. Meaning it is the book to beat all books. There is no book like the Bible. The Bible is living and it is active, it says. It is like a sharper than a two-edged sword, like a, a surgeon's scalpel that, that just really gets into us. It gets past our heads and it gets past uh, our outside and it gets inside of us and pierces us. To our very, to our very soul. It's a collection of 66 different books. Just to give you a little, just quick facts on scripture, on the book that you hold in your hand. It's not just a book that you, you know, like, like everything else on your bookshelf. It's a collection of 66 different books divided into two sections, Old Testament and New Testament. It was written by over 40 different, uh, different writers over a span of 1,500 years, penned in three different languages, yet it represents one unified message of God's plan and purpose for all of us. Forty different personalities, several different cultures, different languages, yet it has one unified message and one unified subject, one grand subject that we all we just think about him, the Lord Jesus Christ. In this book, you find, you find pieces and nuggets of wisdom and hope and promises that help us in not only, that not only help people in ancient days, but help us in modern day life as well and speak to our very existence. It is a book unlike any other book. Uh, from 1500 BC to 400 BC is when Genesis through Malachi were written. There, there, are, uh, there are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books that make up the New Testament. They were written over just a 50 year span of time. And they deal with Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, the beginning of the Christian church, and instruction about how to live as a follower of Christ. When Johann Gutenberg invented the movable type printing press in 14, in 1440, the very first document that was printed on this world-changing invention was the Bible. It was invented, many people think, because Gutenberg, the very first thing that he mass-produced was the Bible. There were over 200 Gutenberg Bibles printed at that time. It doesn't sound like much to us because we can turn out books just like that, but back in that day, 200 Bibles printed on a movable type printing press was a lot of work. A lot of attention. The, the, the rest of Gutenberg's life was spent printing and, and, and making the Bible available to common man. And that's what sparked the Protestant Reformation of 1517 as well. To date, the Bible has been translated, portions of the Bible at least, have been translated to over 2,000 different languages and dialects throughout the world. The Bible has a massive place in American history and American culture and in our households today. Nine out of ten households in America have a Bible under its roof. Nine out of ten households in America have a Bible under its roof. That's the good news about the Word. Now let me give you a little bit of bad news about the Word as well. 
According to Gallup Research, here's a quote that I found in one of their reports on biblical literacy in our country. It says that Americans revere the Bible. They want the Bible around them, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical literates. Barna Research says this, fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to data from the Barna Research Group, 60% of Americans can name even, can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. No wonder they say that we break the Ten Commandments all the time because we don't even know what they are. The bottom line is that increasingly America is biblically illiterate. We may have access to the Word. We may have copies of the Word. We may have copies of the Word coming out our ears, but we are not getting into the Word. And when we don't get into the Word, the Word can't get into us. Multiple surveys reveal that the problem, it, the problem in stark terms, according to 82% of Americans, the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is actually a Bible verse. Now, some of you may sit here shaking your head saying, oh, I knew that wasn't the Bible. And Christians, churchgoers, did do better than 82%. Only 81% of churchgoers think that that's in the Bible. So we did do better than that. That's not in the Bible, by the way. People say, well, I'm sure it is. No, it's, it's not. That's not in the Bible. Uh, a majority of adults think that the Bible teaches that the most important purpose in life is to simply take care of one's family. While that is a noble calling, the main purpose in life is to bring glory to our Creator and to make the name of Jesus Christ famous throughout the world. Another article indicated that at least 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. <laughs> if you're not laughing, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. Another Graduating high school seniors, graduating high school seniors, right? Revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Reverend Billy Graham. We laugh at that because we're like, oh, I, I, I know better than that. That's wonderful. But it also reveals our biblical illiteracy in our country. So today on Gideon Sunday, where we partner with a, 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 an institution and a, um, and a foundation that, that seeks to make its main goal to get the word of God into people's hands, we also need to realize that it's not enough just to have it in our hands, we need to have it in our hearts. And it doesn't fall, and here's the thing, we can't be mad at the lost in the church for not getting in the word. What we need to do is fix the problem within the church today. Because by and large, biblical illiteracy is starting right in the house of God. And so the question this morning that we're going to look at is, first of all, let's personalize the question, is the Bible important to you? And the second question is, why is the Bible important? If it's not important to you, I want to show you from the Word this morning why the Bible is so vital. Remember, 9 out of 10 Americans say, hey, i got a Bible in my house. You may have four or five different Bibles. I have I have a whole bookshelf of Bibles. Here we were passing says I do. But I mean there's Bibles everywhere in our country. But it's not making its way into our lives. It's not making its way into our daily thoughts. It's not it's not filtering our worldview today like it should. See, I like books. Alright? I like good looking books. Alright? I like I like I like going to like Barnes and Noble 
into a bookstore, and I'm, I'm, I really love the really nice, you know, hardback classics, you know, like Shakespeare and, and Dickens and Homer and all those things. They've got those really pretty sets, and they're made to sit on your bookshelf, and I want those so bad because I want them, not because I want to read them, but because I want it to look like I read them. You know what I mean? Some books you buy to read, other books you buy because you want people to think you read them because it makes you look smart. You know, like when people come over to the house or something, you know, put on my smoking, smoking jacket, not that I smoke, but it makes me feel. No, I don't have one, by the way. But anyway, you just stand by the bookshelf, you know, and say, did you see what's back behind you? I don't read them, but they look nice, don't they? That's kind of the mindset that people have today about the Bible. Yeah, I've got the Bible, but just having it doesn't make a difference. Just being around, you're not, it's like the kid in school that thought he was going to learn his algebra by just resting his head on his book. It's not going to happen by osmosis. We have to get in the Word of God. And here's why we have to get in the Word, because it's important. We've all heard the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover, right? A lot of people today judge the Word of God by its cover. And by that I mean figuratively. They look at it and say it's old. Which in our culture today, if it's old, it means it's outdated, it's run its course, and it's no longer valuable to modern society. We judge this book by its cover as well. And here's the really hard-hitting thing. When many people are judging this book by its cover, you know what the cover is? Us. You may be the only Bible that anyone ever reads. You've probably heard that line before. I didn't coin it myself. But we are the cover that many people are judging the book by. And here's why we're doing such a bad job of it. Because if we're not in it ourselves, how can we live it out there? If we're not in it ourselves, how can we live it out there? And so this morning, I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse number 14. And we're going to really drill down in verses 16 and 17 this morning that tells us why a book is important. We know not to judge a book by its cover. Having a pretty cover doesn't mean it's going to be a great book. I bought some really pretty books, and the pages inside of them were filled with rubbish. You've done it before as well, been disappointed. The cover was the most exciting part of the book. But folks, the cover of the Word of God is not the most exciting part of the book. It's when you get in it. It's the pages from Genesis to Revelation. It will change your life and it will change the world. We have to believe that as a church because if we don't, who's going to? Who's going to? So it's not the cover that makes the book good. What makes a book good? And that's what I want to look at this morning. Look at verse number 14 of chapter 3. Again, Paul is writing to Timothy, his student, his disciple in the faith. And he says these words. He says, but continue or keep on going and keep on studying the word. Continue in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. And then from a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise in the salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, every bit of Scripture, that means every part of the Word of God is given by inspiration or through instinct or is inspired of God and it is profitable or it is available for doctrine or teaching or reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God or the child of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished Unto how many good works? Unto all good works. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning you would speak through the word of God today. I pray that you would illuminate us to the truth in these pages. I pray that your messenger would rightly divide your word and that your word would fall upon our hearts and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Don't judge a book by its cover. What makes a book 
good? What makes a book valuable? It's not the cover. It's not the materials used to make the book. What makes a book valuable is what's inside of it. And there's three things this morning from verses 16 and 17 that we see that Paul tells Timothy about the Word of God. First of all, he basically tells Timothy, base your entire life's work, your entire ministry, everything you do on the Word of God. Preach the Word of God. Check yourself by the Word of God. Check your ministry by the standards in the Word of God. The Word of God is your guide. And church, today, it's the same thing. It hasn't changed. The Word of God is our guide, and the Word of God is our litmus test as well. The Word of God is our measure as well. The Word has to be central to the ministry of the local church. It must be. And so this morning we're going to look at three things very quickly because we want to hear what, uh, what God is doing through the work of the Gideons to get his word out through, uh, throughout the world. But beginning uh, in verse number 16, we see the very first reason that the word of God is important or what makes the word of God special is its author. The word of God is important this morning and should be important to us because of who the author is. Some people read books for different reasons. They read books because somebody recommended it. They read books because they saw it on they saw a special on 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 TV, or because it was cheap on the Kindle store. They just get books for whatever reason. But one big reason a lot of people will go back and read book after book after book is because they know the author. They have read a book by one author, and they say, "Man, that one was so good. I want to read the next one. And I want to read the next one. And I want to read the next one." Uh, while the Bible may have been penned by over 40 different people over a 15-year period of time, it only has one author. There's 40 different writers, and we often say, you know, Paul says to Timothy, or Matthew writes this, but we have to understand this, and when we're saying that, and we look at these books of the Bible, and we see that David was a writer, and Paul was a writer, and Matthew was a writer, and Mark, and Luke, and John, and Moses, and all these different people that God used to write the Word of God, he is the holy author. The Bible says in our text, in verse number 16, he says, All scripture is given by what? Is given by inspiration of who? Of God. All scripture is inspired by God. It comes from that Greek word, theonousos, meaning that God literally breathed his word to the people that wrote it. It's like holy dictation, if you will. That as these men wrote the word, as these men began to write these letters, these books of history, these poems that were compiled into the canon of scripture, it was the Holy Spirit of God directing them to write it. Um, the author of God's word is God. That's why we call it God's word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, why is that important to us? Why is it important to believe and to know and to stand firm on the fact that this book it's different from all other books because God is the author. Why is that important? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons. First of all is, knowing that the author of God's word is God is that it allows us to know him. It allows us to know him better. There's something that just comes across as you read an author's words that helps you to know them a little bit as well. There's a big difference when you read a book and you know the author personally. I had the opportunity before he went to heaven, and many of you did as well, to know Dr. Lewis Arnold. He was a local pastor and church planter, a missionary. He did mission work with my great-grandfather in the Bahamas, which I thought a lot about that this week as the hurricanes were ripping through the Bahamas. I prayed a lot because that's where they did a lot of the work, and they helped build churches and things down there. But I knew Dr. Arnold personally. I had times where I could sit down and talk with him. I shared meals with him. I heard him preach. And so when I read his books that he wrote, it meant more to me. Because I knew the guy. You know, so as I'm reading, I knew him. 
Put that in with the Word of God. When you read the Word of God, you never had a chance to meet Paul. You never had a chance to meet uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God, you've met God. You've met him. Oh, we need to make sure we go back up here. We say that again. If you are reading the Word of God, you're a child of God, you've met the author. Yeah. Right? Right? You've met the author. And so, reading the Word of God and knowing that it is Him, you have had a chance to meet the author and allow us to know Him. And the other reason that it's important to God as the author is because only God is holy enough to be 100% trusted in His words. I love the works of Paul. I love to read the writing that God has Paul write. I love David. I love to read the Psalms. I love Solomon. I love to read the Proverbs. I love to read all this. But here's the thing. Solomon, David, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and all these other writers, they were men just, and they were human beings just like we are. They're faulty. And by the way, many people think, oh, no, I think they were just guys that we put it together and put God's stamp on it, the skeptics, and say that. Here's my question for a skeptic. If you truly read scripture, you'll find that Paul doesn't necessarily paint himself in the most positive light. If I'm going to write about myself, I'm going to be uh, revisionist in my life's history. Okay? I'm not going to tell you about all the nasty stuff. I'm not going to tell you about all the, the dirt under my fingernails and the things that I didn't want people to know. But these guys, as they're writing, they're not just writing about the good stuff about them. They're writing about the, the, the stuff that they don't want anybody else to know. That's because God inspired them to include that. I wouldn't do that if I were writing about myself. I have full license to do that. God is the author of his word, and he's the only one holy enough to be trusted 100%. And it is by the church that this word is trustworthy. Because if it's off in one place, it might be off in John 3.16. How do we know for sure? Every word here in his word can be trusted. The reliability of scripture is the basis of our faith. Making sure you have the proper information is important, isn't it? Yes. You ever got the wrong information before? Or maybe half of the information that you need? There were two ladies who uh, lived in Southern California. They decided that they wanted to go just a little bit, just over the border from San Diego. They wanted to go to Tijuana and do some Christmas shopping. So they went in there and they stayed for a couple nights in a the hotel there. And they got back to the hotel room after shopping and finding the bargains that they were looking for. They, they looked down... Uh, into the gutter outside their room, and they saw this itty bitty little animal that was just so cute and was suffering and was hurting. They looked down and they saw what they thought was uh, what looked like a, a, a chihuahua puppy. So they carried it in and they asked the housekeeper and said, Do you think this is, this is a chihuahua? And the housekeeper said, See, I think it's a chihuahua. Yeah, that's true. And she's probably thinking, stupid Americans. You know, but anyway, she's, you know, they say that. So they began to nurse it to help and they sneak the puppy across the border. And they're thinking, we're going to keep this as our, as our own little puppy. Because right? in Southern California, the chihuahuas are, you know, you can just put them in a little purse and carry them around like Paris Hilton and all that stuff. And it's just really cute. So they thought, got this great chihuahua. They get back and they take the, they take the chihuahua to the vet. And the vet is looking at it and, and inspecting the dog and, and everything. And says, looks at the ladies and says, who told you that this was a chihuahua? And they're like, well, the housekeeper at, at our hotel. And they said, where did you get this? Well, we got it in Tijuana. And we brought them back to the hotel. about how they had to help sneak across the border. They said, ladies, you don't have a chihuahua puppy. You have a Mexican rabid river rat in your hands. It's got rabies. And you're lucky that it hasn't bitten you already. Not having the proper information can hurt you. Right? So that's why it's important that the word of God be God's word. 
Because as wonderful as Paul, as wonderful as Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and as wonderful as many preachers today are in helping to try to divide the word of truth, the word of God stands alone as perfect and infallible because it came from an infallible and perfect God. That's why I often say too, don't just take my word for it. Don't take your teacher or your life group's word for it. Look at the word of God. Look at his word, study his word, get in his word. The word of God is valuable because of its author. The word of God is valuable as well because of its content. Look at the latter part of verse number 16. Not only is it all inspired by God, but here's why, here's what we do with the word. It is profitable or it is uh, it's profitable for doctrine or for teaching. It's profitable for reproof or rebuking. It's profitable for correction and for instruction or training in righteousness. What this is telling us as the church is that when we gather for worship, when we gather for meetings, when we gather in groups, when we do whatever, every time we gather, there's really only one book or one piece of literature we need to concern ourselves with. The Word of God. Because it has everything that we need. A book is valuable in our culture because of its content. There's some books that transcend kind of the cultures that they're in, transcend time. Those are the books that we have to read in school and understand in classic literature and stuff. The Word of God is transcendent because of its content, because it's complete, it is perfect, it is whole, and it can be universally applied to everyone. The Word of God can meet you where you are. Maybe some of you think, no, what I'm going through is a unique situation, and I don't think that the Word of God has anything to say about what I'm going through today. So because I'm struggling with my identity. Well, the Bible will tell you in the book of Genesis that your identity is found in your creator. I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling in, in these things. You know, back, back in that day, there wasn't internet pornography. You don't know the damage that that's doing in my marriage. You know, there was stuff like that going on all over the place. And that's why uh, in the New Testament, it's pen, think on the things that are pure and holy and just. And to avert your eyes from temptation. It speaks to every issue of life. What about the political climate today? You know, Democrats and Republicans and all that type of stuff. It speaks to that as well when it says that the word of God is forever settled in heaven and that my help comes not from Capitol Hill, but it comes from Calvary still to lift my eyes up to see where my help comes from. Well, what about, uh, what about the problems that I'm having with uh, my, my kids? The Bible speaks to that as well. What about the abandonment that I feel? With the abuse that I've suffered in my life. The Bible says that he's a father to the fathers, and he binds up the brokenhearted, and he will heal us, and he makes beauty from ashes. The Bible will meet you at your point of need. The Bible meets you right where you live. It's constant, it's pure, and it's holy, and it's for us, it is profitable. Many people want to dismiss the Bible today because they say it's so old that it can't have anything valuable or relevant to say. It's vital today, it will be vital tomorrow, it will be vital 3,000 years from now, and we're long gone off the sea. If God's Word is useful, let me ask you a question to apply to us today. If God's Word is so useful, how much use have you personally given from it today? If God's Word is so useful, how much use are you giving out of it today? In the book of Psalms, Chapter 19, beginning in verse number 7. Here's what the psalmist says about the word. Which, by the way, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. 150 verses all about the Bible. 
all about the Bible. Here's what it says in verse 27. The instructions of the Lord is perfect. Renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and is sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. We see the psalmist, and he starts out in the first half of that passage, just talking about how amazing the Word of God is and how efficient it is for our life. And then we see him uh, respond to that as well. He says, oh, cleanse me. Show me where I am needed uh, to change. Show me where I need to line up with Scripture. I don't need to line Scripture up with me. I need to line up with what you said. And here's what Hosea in chapter 4 gives us a very intense warning. See, we can come to know the God of the Word by getting into the Word of God. And here's what Hosea says. He says, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. If it is true that we are becoming biblically illiterate in our country today, and if it is true that the majority of the church only opens their Bibles when their preacher says, grab your Bible and open it for the sermon, then we are running a really high risk of Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 becoming a real problem within our life and in our church today. Folks, you've got to get in the Word every day of your life, and you've got to allow the Word to get into you. You have to. When it comes to God, what you don't know can and will hurt you. And all God wants us to know about Him and ourselves is contained in this book. The content of God's Word is precious and is complete, and the content of the Bible is meant to be consumed as well. I had the opportunity and I'm, I'm privileged and honored that sometimes some of you come to me and say, Hey, would you sit down and talk with me about this thing that I'm struggling with in my life? Would you mind giving me some counsel? Would you mind counsel with me? And I have learned now, it's taken me a long time to learn this. But understand this, when you come and say, Hey, would you mind counsel with me for a period of time, for a series of weeks, here's the first thing that I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you this, how much have you been in the Word? And the second thing is I'm going to ask you, how much is the Word? in you lately. Because here's the thing, I'm not going to give you in one hour a week anything more than God is going to make available to you 24-7 through this whole world. It's just not. Give in the word. Its content is complete. Let the word get in you and its content will change you from the inside. And then quickly as we wrap up this morning, the Word of God is important because it's awful. The Word of God is important because of its content. And most importantly, the Word of God is important because of the impact that it can have. Not only that it can have, but that it also has as well. See, books have a way of having a lasting impact on their readers. It really does. For some reason, Shakespeare has lasted through the generations. The impact that it has on today's modern student is it just helps them go to sleep at night. But it has impact, right? Certain works of literature have had an impact upon multiple generations, but the Bible is the most impactful book of all time. I'll never back away from saying that and believing that with my heart. The Bible is the most impactful book of all time. And I'm not just talking about the mark that it's made on history. I'm not talking about its popularity or its place on the bestsellers. All of that is pretty self-explanatory. 
What I'm talking about when I say impact, I'm talking about the personal impact it makes upon anyone who reads it and who allows themselves to come near it and allows themselves to come near it. I'm talking about the personal impact the Word of God will have on your life. Paul tells Timothy this in verse number 17. He says, the Bible is important because if the man of God will be perfected through it and become thoroughly furnished into all good works. The man of God, that word perfect doesn't mean sinless without blemish. It means be complete. Be complete. Have you ever felt like you weren't up to the task of being a Christian? Is that get in the Word of God and it begins to perfect you, it begins to complete you, it begins to mature you? Have you ever felt like you weren't up for the task of what God is calling you to do? Join the club. God calls the inequipped, so He shows His power through equipping us, and He equips us through His Word. He has given us everything within His Word, He completes us in Christ. Back before the internet, if you think back that far, Google and all this stuff, especially for our students today, which you hear uh, there was no Google, you know, when you're working on homework and working on a paper, you went to these, these things, these big buildings, they're like giant information servers called libraries. And you went in and there were these books that you opened and you got information out of to write your papers and stuff like that. And then some people, you know, were really lucky and they had these things called encyclopedias. You might have been world books, Funkin' Wagnalls, all that type of stuff, yeah. Okay, so when I was a kid, my mom got on the ground floor with this encyclopedia publisher's company that they said, hey, we've got these four volumes that are out right now, covers like A through D. And it says, every so often we'll release a new one, you can just pay as you go. Well, mom jumped on that because it was a bargain and it was a deal for me and my brother. So she's like, no, you're going to be so good in school, we're going to have this encyclopedia set, and you're going to have the complete set in like five years. So you can a quarter of my whole educational career, right? So I'm in the school, I'm like, you know, everything looks really good, you know, here, but this is a little in the way of it, because that, I didn't have that encyclopedia. I didn't have the access to that. Here's the thing we know about the Bible. Since we have the Word of God and it is completed in its canon today, we have everything we need for success as a church. We have everything we need for success as a disciple of Christ. We have everything we need to disciple others in Christ. And we have everything we need to proclaim the gospel clearly and loudly and accurately because we have the Word of God. What a gift we have. The sad thing is, is that most of us look at this gift and it sits in the back seat of our car all week. And I'm not being mean, I'm just being honest, right? Some of you have, some of we have, we have phones, we have phones with Bibles on and we even have notifications that, hey, it's time to read your Bible today. And we just swipe, we just swipe it over and clear that off because we don't want to be bugged by it. I don't have time for that today. We have everything we need, yet we turn it away so many times. The impact of the Word is going to be based on how often you get with the Word. It can't have impact if we don't get in it and we don't get around it and we don't get under it because it will equip us as well for life and service. When you get in the Word, it has the power to get inside of you and to change you. It removes what doesn't belong, and it puts in what does. The Word of God will change you. The Word of God will grow you. It will feed you. It will sustain you. When you get in the Word, it feeds you. It strengthens you. It begins to light your path and direct your steps. It begins to embolden your witness. It begins to speak truth to Satan's lies in your life. It begins to reassure you that you are loved by the God of heaven who created you and gave you a life for a holy purpose. 
It begins to build up your spirit, and it begins to well up inside of you like a fountain or a river that is contained behind a dam. And eventually that, that pressure of having so much of the word built up inside of you begins to spill out over other people, and then life change happens in other people because you have now become not just a possessor of the word, but a professor of the word as well. The word of God will change you, and then it will, change, it will take you to change the world through the word. But we can't do that if we stay away from it. That stuff cannot happen if we just say, hey, I've got a new Bible, baby. It's got a nice cover on it, a two-tone cover. It looks really good, man. It's nice. You've got my name back on it. That's nice. Let's play it down. God's not impressed with how many Bibles you have engraved with your name. What he's impressed with is whether you have a heart that is engraved with his name and his word in Equips us for life. So as we close out this morning, we get ready for the invitation. Why did God give us the Bible? Why is it so important? He didn't give us the Bible so it could just get off the bestsellers list because his ego isn't that badly. He didn't give us the Bible so Gutenberg could have something to print and make mass make available to the masses because God doesn't need the profit from the sales. God didn't give us the Bible so the scholars could debate about it for centuries because His Word is already forever settled in heaven. He gave us the Word of God so that we could come to the God of the Word. He gave us this Word so that when we get in it, we come to the God of the Word because that's what we desperately need as broken humanity. We need to be brought to Him so that we can be put back together by Him. He created us in His image. He created us to glorify Him and to have fellowship with Him. In His Word, we see that we sinned and that we messed that up. But even after that, He wasn't done with us. In His holiness, He showed mercy through the sacrifice of the Son, Jesus Christ. If we would believe His Word and we would trust Christ, we would be saved. And that Jesus is one day returning for His bride. And He will make all things right when He establishes His kingdom. And in that truth, that's what we as the church persist in. It doesn't matter if this word loses its popularity in our culture. What matters is whether his people are still possessed by the words. What matters is whether you are letting the word of God change you. I want to close by sharing with you something that I, I found years ago. And I, I, I love this. I want you to listen to this closely. If you listen better by closing your eyes and having no distractions, that's fine. Because I want you to understand what a treasure you have sitting in your lap in the form of a Bible. What you understand is, what is the Bible? The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, and this way of salvation. It contains the doom of sinners and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. We must read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It is light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, it is the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, and the soldier's sword, and it is the Christian's character. Here, in these pages, paradise is restored, heaven is open, and the gates of hell are closed. Christ is its grand subject, our good is its design, the glory of God is its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. When you read it, read it slowly, frequently. And prayerfully, 
It is a mind of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given to you in this life, will be opened at the judgment, and will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility. It will reward the greatest labor, and it will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. And it will leave eternally empty those who squander the holy opportunity to open its pages and receive the life of God. This is the book you hold in life. This is the book that we come and open every weekend, week out, meeting in, meeting out. These are the words that we hold true to. These are what we base our faith upon. Friends, I'm asking you, are you basing your life upon? Are you ruled by the pages of God? Do you know the word of God? Because if you know the word of God, you come to know the God of the world.